Could you make up the word outro? I did. So <laughs> I like it. it. No, I am. It works. Yeah. I also we were talking the, in uh, meeting the other day because we were talking about grain application. I, I used the word appendicize. Is that not a word? Mm-hmm. Like if you're making if you're putting something in an appendix. Appendicize. I would have used appendicize. Yeah. Thank Multiple you. Multiple yeah. things in the appendix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There or we the go. process. Yeah. That's Jesse why we advised think against getting yeah. appendicitis. Like don't appendicize no, too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of those table slappers. Yeah. 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 I can I'll, be straight myself on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? No, let's uh, have a good conversation. Here we go. Hello there. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues in education. We're coming to you from the School of Education here at VCU, and as always, my name is David Naff, and I'm your host. Uh, Today, we're excited to share a conversation with members of our brand new study team focused on cultural diversity, professional development for teachers. This is the latest Merck study identified by the partnership, which we're excited to take on and discuss with you today. As always, I'm surrounded by a group of educational researchers and practitioners who are committed to this study and believe in its importance and relevance to the needs of our students and teachers, both locally and on a broader level. Uh, Let me introduce them to you now, and for each person you're about to meet, I'm going to ask them to give us their estimate of when you type the word diversity into Google Scholar, which is a search engine for empirical research that's out there in the world, how many results come up whenever you type that in. All right, so we're going to start with Laura Falcon, who's the assistant principal at James River High School in Chesterfield County Public Schools. Laura, how many results do you think we get? I think upwards of 10,000 right. for so diversity. 10,000. I'm going to write this down. We're going to do this Price is Right style. All right. <laughs> Jamie Stacy, who's the assistant principal at John Rolfe Middle School in Henrico County Public Schools. Jamie, what do you think? See, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the tens of thousands, so I'll go mm. ahead and say like 32,000. 32,000. All right. Getting bold here. Uh, Travis Ridley, who's the principal at North Elementary School in Colonial Heights Public Schools. What do you think? Travis? I would say about 25,000. 25,000. Sitting in the pocket between the two. All right. Uh, Julie Gerleski, assistant associate professor and department chair for the Department of Teaching and Learning at VCU and co-principal investigator for this study. What do you think? I'm guessing 1.2 million. 1.2 million. Spoken from somebody who's done a lot of searches in Google Scholar, I think. (laughs) All right, so we're at 1.2 million. And then, as always, we have Jesse Seneschal, our interim director of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at VCU and co-principal investigator for this study. Jesse, what do you think? Price is right style, I'm going to say 32,001. 32,001. Man, take that, Jamie. Um, Nobody's going to guess a dollar. Okay, so you ready for the answer? Yeah. The answer is 3,220,000 results. So uh, some of you were a a hundredth of the way there. Uh, So to put that in context, if you type the word students... It produces 5,180,000 results. Education gets 5,820,000 results. Motivation gets 3,570,000 results. And learning gets 5,400,000 results. So diversity can definitely apply to a number of fields, but this does give us an idea about how broadly this term tends to be used 
and studied in research and how critical it's going to be for us to be very specific about how we're researching it for the purposes of this specific study. Hopefully what we'll be able to accomplish today is to take this huge topic and add some specificity and clarity to how we plan on tackling it. So let's get right into it. Jesse, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of this study and what the goals are for it? Sure. This is uh, you know, a similar spiel that I've given at other podcasts about our other projects, but this is a topic that came right out of the Policy and Planning Council of Merck, which were, is a, our governing body, which includes the superintendents of the seven Merck school divisions and research directors, some VCU faculty, um, and it comes out of a process of identifying regional need and then narrowing a set of topics to one or two that um, we commission studies on. And so the issue of um, cultural diversity, professional development was one that seemed of, you know, uh, enough urgent need that it was, you know, we, we started with 30 topics and this was the one that was chosen to move forward with the study. It seems like uh, there's a lot of um, interest in thinking about how we can do this and, you know, we can relate that to a number of factors, I think, We've uh, done a little bit of preliminary research looking at demographic changes um, in the region, and um, there uh, it's it's happening rapidly in in some uh, locations, especially. And I mean, across the region, you can see some numbers. And you know, if you look at the video um, that David put together on our on our website, um, you know, there's there's some pretty significant changes over the last decade. And then if you and that's region wide, but if you look at particular schools, some schools have shifted dramatically in ten years, mm-hmm. almost flipped their populations. Mm-hmm. And so that creates a lot of challenges uh, for um, folks that work within schools. And, um, you know, hopefully what we're going to be doing is, uh, in terms of what the goals of the study are, uh, right now it's uh, to um, understand the implications of this um, and to think about what are some models for doing this well mm-hmm. with an understanding that diversity and demographic um, change within schools is uh, both an opportunity um, and a challenge, mm-hmm. and uh, that there's a real potential here for making our schools stronger. Um, but there's also, you know, ways that it could go wrong, and so we just want to we want to try to um, help everybody think more deeply about it. Uh, we haven't uh, we haven't gotten to a research question yet. We're sort of in the preliminary discussion phases, but we will um, eventually be identifying a research question, establishing a research method to answer that question producing an empirical report, you know, uh, meaning that a report where we go out and actually collect evidence, whether that's qualitative data or quantitative data, um, and be, we'll be presenting that back to the region. Um, but as you said, with Merck, it'll be um, all along the way, we'll be sort of reporting out a lot of our results. And uh, thanks for the shout out to the video that's on our yeah. website for yeah. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the background for this study, there's a quick video that can give you an intro to what we're doing here. Um, and a note about the meeting whenever this topic was selected, I remember it being a pretty strong consensus about this topic. And there was a couple of other ones that folks had presented as potential options. Um, but when we got to the voting stage of it, it was clear that this was a, um, a pending need uh, locally. And so that's why we dug into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Julie, we just talked about how huge this literature base is, right? So you have this daunting task about telling us what cultural diversity is. Give us a definition. Sure. Um, I'm glad you started with that question because it does show how complex and um, huge this issue is and how difficult it can be to define it in a way that makes sense to people. Um, Basically, the diversity refers to difference. Um, And differences, of course, then emphasize the characteristics that that distinguish one thing from another. Um, Common categories when we think about diversity might include um, race, gender, Um, sexuality, religion, 
language, age, um, but then even things like ability, ideology, ethnicity, all kinds of characteristics are often, often come into play when we think about diversity. When we think about diversity, um, the term itself originates around biology. And in biological systems, diversity is a strength. If we have too much homogeneity, then systems die or weaken. Um, so diversity itself is not a problem, as Jesse pointed out, it's an opportunity. Um, but when characteristics related to diversity are connected with different, um, with different ratios of power, diversity emerges as a challenge in social systems. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about diversity, a couple of things that came out in our first meeting um, of, the, of the study team were that diversity, characteristics of diversity are not always obvious or visible. Mm -hmm. And second, that all of us embody different characteristics related to diversity. So mm -hmm. we all embody race and gender and class. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how much that narrows our definition, <laughs> but it provides a little bit of a frame. Yeah. Maybe we start more broadly. Can you talk a little bit more about that power element? Because that seems to be a big issue with, with this topic. Sure. Um, one of the challenges in thinking about diversity is that characteristics that are cultural tend to be connected to belief systems. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes those belief systems are obvious. Religious belief systems tend to be pretty uh, straightforward about um, the, the, the uh, different characteristics or different things they want you to believe in. Mm -hmm. um, but some cultural beliefs are unexamined. Um, beliefs about gender, for example, beliefs about racial characteristics. Um, so that's when aspects of diversity related to power can create conflict or challenges in classrooms or in the world. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing about diversity that, that maybe may, may make that easier to understand is that often when we think about diversity, we think about non-dominant um, groups of people. Mm -hmm. So if I have a class full mm -hmm. of white males, I might think that class needs to be more diverse, not thinking about other characteristics of that mm -hmm. class. So when diversity is connected to different differential um, uh, relations of power, that's when things get complicated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so two elements there, that diversity is more than just race, ethnicity, which might be how we commonly think about it, mm -hmm. and that we all contribute to diversity when you're thinking about that there's all there's something diverse about each one of us there's some element that we're bringing to the table mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um so how do increases in cultural diversity in communities impact schools travis why don't you get us started with this thought so what are the implications for school culture for classroom instruction curriculum um, how are those related to cultural diversity in communities well i think the first thing is the increases in the community you have to understand that those challenges are going to come to the schools and so, therefore, understanding how to define cultural diversity is that first issue that you deal with. Um, and one of the major impacts for schools and the classroom is that your teachers have been taught to teach a certain way or teach certain things within the schools. Therefore, they have to take a step back and see what impacts the student. Is it just race? Is it just gender that defines us cultural diversity? Or is it the beliefs or things they value at home? Mm -hmm. um, is it socioeconomic? Is it ethnicity? Um, is it gender? All those things are, are parts of this. So having, a, having your staff to understand this within the school and having your school to understand this is how you look at your data also. Mm -hmm. So within that, um, you have to understand how do I influence, how do I reach these students, um, what makes them go. Mm -hmm. um, all those things are so important that when you have a diverse um, 
or culturally diverse changes in your community, you have to look at all these things to make sure that you're analyzing these things. You can understand um, what impacts this has on your curriculum. What are you teaching? And the other things that's hard sometimes is that we expect that everyone else's students um, and families to adapt to what we do at school versus the school adapting to what's coming to us. Um, and the rate, the rate of the change. I look at my school itself and I look at some of the rates of changes in diversity, even from just a sense of, um, of race, a sense of um, even gender. We have a major imbalance there, but we look at it as the socioeconomic status of, of that going from a 23% all the way up to 70% of free and reduced. And so within a five-year period, I feel like that is something that's major there that we have to look at and see what can we do to help these students or what can we do to make sure that we're on top of things and we're doing the, the things that are correct and who defines what's correct. Mm-hmm. I remember working my very first year as an administrator um, I went to a building that had a new principal and we're basically just a new administrative team and at that same time that was the same year that the building had undergone um, a redistricting. So in addition to having a new principal, a new assistant principal, basically the teachers had a new group of students and it was more especially a socioeconomically diverse group of students and mm-hmm. you talk about the change process and it was it was a process that these teachers had to all of a sudden handle and, and I don't necessarily think anyone was necessarily prepared for handling this amount of change so quickly and I think we just it became like a year-long process of us being reactionary to that change process and dealing with things as they happened mm-hmm. as opposed to having that time and preparing what that change is going to feel you know they, they maybe maybe looked at the change taking place with the community but I'm not necessarily thinking they thought about the change process and what various groups of people might think about that and how to prepare them and and how you know you're going to have to relate with students and their families a little bit differently than mm-hmm. you might have been able to relate with a different group of people mm-hmm. um, just just with that experience alone mm-hmm. so yeah you think sometimes the change is a little more gradual sometimes it's just right there and that's <clears throat> it it's yeah. in your face all of a sudden mm-hmm. and learn how to communicate mm-hmm. that's one of the big things communication with um, people of a different culture or people of of diversity, you have to learn how to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, and, and you know, the most clear example, the clearest example of that would be, uh, you know, the language diversity that's entering our schools now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in many schools, we're we're getting large number of ELL students, and um, they have trouble, uh, you know, communicating with parents, um, communicating with students. Uh, there's so few bilingual um, folks that are working within the schools; it becomes a real issue. Um, Quickly, in uh, in a previous episode of um, the podcast, we, we had a conversation with our achieving racial equity in school discipline um, study team, mm. and William Noel brought up a really good point about this: about when he's interacting with a student, that it might be that they're talking to him in a language that works with their culture, that might come across as being disrespectful mm-hmm. for um, teachers or somebody who's interacting with them, but it's a misinterpretation. It's just a way that the student's just trying to interact with them, and so that's really important to recognize. Um, and something that you said, Travis, really stood out to me here. Um, it reminded me about uh, Lisa Delpit, who's a really incredible researcher and author when it comes to, to working with students from different cultures. She talked about if a student doesn't understand what I'm teaching, I try to understand who they are. 
And I think that that's a really important takeaway from this. That's what I was going to say, too, about students who are either ELs or from a different culture that you don't understand. Regardless of where the student is coming from, whether it is a different culture or a different language, it doesn't matter if you don't speak the language. You just need to make an effort to understand the student. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've been stressing to teachers and people across the district for years in my training is it. You just have to step out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. and that's a big thing for people to, to do. Um, and it's part of the self-reflection process is part of becoming culturally competent and part of the professional development that I feel we need to do is just asking people to step inside themselves, becoming aware of where their own biases are, mm-hmm. and actually just learning about themselves and just doing some... Um, Part of that self-reflection is looking at where they came from, where their parents came from, grandparents even, looking at um, their religious experiences, what they liked or disliked about how they grew up. And maybe they've never talked about those things or even shared those things either with a colleague or um, people that they work with at school. But just in doing some of those discussions, it not only builds capacity at the workplace, Mm -hmm. but I've found that it it allows to have greater experiences with students at school that they may not have good relationships with. Mm -hmm. And as far as um, speaking with students that you don't understand the language, there is a a common language of kindness and courtesy, Mm -hmm. and it goes a long way even if you don't speak any other language. Mm -hmm. It's been my experience. Yeah, And you brought up an acronym, and we love acronyms in education, Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for us to define those here. ELL. Yes. So ELL, what does Mm -hmm. that mean? English language learner. Mm -hmm. And somebody brought up free reduced lunch before. Mm -hmm. I think, Jamie, you had brought that up. What does free reduced lunch mean? Um, Basically, there's just a percentage of students when when you're talking about um, percentage of students who basically qualify because of what their parents or their family members, how much money they might make. So if they are within a certain threshold, they would qualify to receive a free or reduced lunch or breakfast. And usually that will also, the amount of students receiving free and reduced lunch will determine whether or not like a breakfast program comes into the building. And it also kind of helps um, catapult other programs coming Mm -hmm. into the building as well. So proxy for family Mm -hmm. income, that's what we usually refer to for socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. in schools. So Laura, like you were saying, there's a good transition. Uh, We may have a tendency to tend to focus on the challenges associated with increased cultural diversity, but there's a lot of opportunities. We're talking about the language of love, right? So what are those opportunities? Tell me. I see everything as an opportunity. (laughs) Um, The majority of our teaching faculty in the entire country are white middle-class women. And so I feel like we need to attract more minority teachers. And in Chesterfield, we are working on that. There's actually an equity committee working on that right now. Um, But in general, it is difficult to attract more minority teachers. So until we can do that, uh, we, we are working on educating the teachers that we have on learning to become more culturally proficient in learning to um, make our changing demographic of students feel more welcome. Mm -hmm. I will say it is a difficult process because some people feel like they just need to teach the curriculum, they are just working on those SOLs in May, and they have no time to say hello Mm -hmm. to a student who is an EL or a student living in poverty or a student who's homeless. And I wish it was different, 
I have a different mindset on that yeah. because I feel like we are here for the students, all students, regardless of an SOL. Our students will not perform for any academic test unless they know that they are loved and feel welcome in a class. And I 100% believe that if our students have a connection with a teacher in a class, then they will perform. And I feel like through proper professional development, we can build bridges and we can make all of our students and communities feel welcome when they come into the school. And one of the things that we are doing in our system is we are helping our front offices feel more welcome to mm -hmm. all communities. Mm -hmm. That also is a, is a slow process. But I look at it as an opportunity. It should not be a barrier. I feel that through this self-reflection process for our teachers, they, they feel like they're learning more about themselves. I'm hearing a lot more rich conversations with people who you know, have been working beside their colleagues for 10, 15 years, and they thought they just were English colleagues. Now they go to each other's you know, holiday functions, and they're mm -hmm. going to church with each other, and now it is a more significant relationship, and mm -hmm. it's all based on cultural connections. Mm -hmm. And those are being shared with students mm -hmm. at school. And the prompts that are given to teachers, the teachers now are sharing it with students, which are awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's all opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have um, the privilege of um, being part of a program at Henrico called Teachers on Tour. Mm -hmm. And basically what it is, it's a group of teachers that are able to go to different schools and observe and find out what programs they have in place to support the students. Mm -hmm. And um, this past year we had the opportunity to visit Cuyacasin Middle, which does a really nice job of supporting its ELL students. And one of the things that I noticed from the teaching staff there is that they celebrate those students. Yeah. Um, they celebrate their culture, they celebrate their background, and they, they work with these students not only to feel to understand like yeah that, this is my culture I'm bringing this culture to this building mm -hmm. and I'm making it a part of this building mm -hmm. but they also do a nice job of preparing them preparing them to actually share about their culture preparing That's them awesome. to be co confident about their culture to go into classrooms and present on their culture and their beliefs and and it just it really just helps to support the spirit of that building it really just they're, they're a global community and they really embrace that globalism mm -hmm. and I think that's a Phenomenal awesome. thing. Yeah. Well, the, I wanted to kind of circle back around. The, the first part I feel in the opportunities of this is not only does the teacher or the educator have to be self-reflective, but once they are open to that, mm -hmm. then you can start educating about the culturally responsive teaching. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, not only do they have the SOL, the scope and sequence that they have to cover, but when appropriate, if a student starts talking about their own culture, then if the educator is proficient enough, they can incorporate some culturally responsive teaching. Mm -hmm. So that's where I feel like there are only opportunities in this process. It mm -hmm. isn't just about learning about themselves, but they can use it as often as appropriate. Mm -hmm. It is a very challenging topic um, in thinking about it in terms of professional development, because mm -hmm. it's not professional development training you to do, you know, X curriculum protocol so mm -hmm. that, you know, and boom, you've got, you can, you know, teach to culturally diverse classes, but it's really about changing fundamental frameworks, mm -hmm. um, and which can be done, but re requires a lot of time and space and self-reflection and all the things mm -hmm. you're, you're suggesting. Teachers are in a tough spot now at the same time. And so I want to kind of bring that teacher voice. And, and I think that's one thing we're missing around the table right now, mm -hmm. our teachers. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, a research topic about teachers' professional development. And mm -hmm. I think we need to think about some way of integrating some teacher perspective into the, 
into the study, although I think we probably all spend time in classrooms. You know, I was a teacher for a long time. I think mm-hmm. we all come from that, but um, getting current teachers in, in the conversation is important. This, and this, some of the things I'm saying are coming out of the, you know, the teacher morale study that Merck just completed, but um, that teachers' work, so much of teachers' work is, is um, highly structured, and there's so much overload on teachers' um, work time that doing something like having this really kind of open, self-reflective space for growing as a professional mm-hmm. is 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 a is a hard other thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. if we're going to have a and so just one example of that, if we're going to have a school that has a curriculum that's more attentive to issues of cultural diversity, maybe that is like really thoughtful about integrating the um, you know if I so I was an English teacher as an English teacher integrating. Um, you know, the, the literary traditions of, of the students in my classroom or the community oral traditions of, you know, the folks in my classroom. That takes a lot of time to develop that curriculum. And is there space for that in the standardized curriculum that we're, mm-hmm. that we're supposed to teach? Mm-hmm. So some of this is about teachers' growth, but I think, and this is a point Travis brought up earlier, we also have to look at the school structures itself and the systems itself. Mm-hmm. Are there ways that we need to adapt the system to create opportunities for teachers to grow mm-hmm. into more cult- culturally responsive, mm-hmm. you know, um, educators' uh, I just wanted to put that point out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I think about Henrico, um, the slant that they're taking right now is really focusing on trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. And through the usage of that lens, um, basically recognizing students who are facing traumatic situations at home, um, we need to approach them differently, and they're going to have different experiences but that's also thinking of a form of diversity. Mm-hmm. And in those conversations and responding to trauma and responding to students and their families and trauma um, also comes to responding to those cultural differences mm-hmm. too and, and how to work with them and approach them. Um, I think about your making sure that there's time in the day mm-hmm. to make sure that we're responding to them appropriately mm-hmm. and that they were teaching our students you know, that we're going to be, that we have to be tolerant of one another and that we have to respond to one another in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's going on right now is that, especially on the middle school level, they are making sure that they are putting time in the instructional day to provide time to teach those kinds of lessons to students. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very small movement, but it's, it's starting to take it's starting to grow because more and more schools are recognizing that we have students that they're coming, they come from different backgrounds and that we need mm-hmm. opportunities to make sure that we're providing time in the instructional day to, to teach those things, mm-hmm. to teach. Can I ask you, yeah. are those lessons provided by we do. Yes, oh, we do provide good. them yeah, in our mm-hmm. building. I think so. also the flexibility that we have as divisions, mm-hmm. and not just for the teachers, but the flexibility we have, you say it's set state standards and those things Mm -hmm. but we have to make sure that we're using resources that kind of make the students feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and it it encompasses all those um, different cultural beliefs and those things but I think about myself and when I came through school and I think about my son who's 11 and he's in fifth grade and I think about some of the things that he's still doing the same that's exactly the same that I did Mm -hmm. 20 25 years ago Mm -hmm. And so to look at that and I look at some of the textbooks and some of the books that he brings home and those things and I'm saying a lot of the things they don't reflect who he is or the beliefs that we have as a family or those things. So sometimes the flexibility that I have or I try to bring in things or encourage teachers to do is to really pick out some things, especially for our EL learners. Mm-hmm. You know, pick out some books that really show some things that they are used to, they see, mm-hmm. that they can relate to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you can help or have things that they can relate to, you get the performance goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah. eliminate the frustration. Because sometimes when you... You're not very sensitive to a lot of the cultural diversity that we have, whether any segment of it, you get a 
frustration. Mm-hmm. And when you get that part, you don't get that 100% back. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, do I trust you? So as you build those relationships, you have the opportunity to build those relationships, those are so key. Because mm-hmm. building strong relationships, you'll get that 100% back. Mm-hmm. And you'll get that mm-hmm. understanding. Now I can help you out. And it decreases those other things, discipline, the other things that you mm-hmm. deal with, or you think that's maybe a problem, but it may just be what you guys believe in. Mm-hmm. So you may not give me eye contact mm-hmm. because that's something that you might not believe in. Or in your culture, education may not be a top priority. Other things may be. And so um, you have to be sensitive to those things. But if you build relationships, you'll start to understand those things. Mm-hmm. And the teachers that start to do those things, their experiences are great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think as a school mm-hmm. division, we have to help that. We have to help those teachers so they don't feel like it's an ex- additional thing to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's something that's going to yes. help overall. Yeah. Well, just I, I'm sorry. Just touching on that a little bit. You mentioned you know the student perspective, and I think that's key in an effective professional development model mm-hmm. is getting the student voice. And you know whatever that looks like with our you know research study, I do think it's important to get some element of a student perspective. Mm-hmm. There was something I created a couple years ago at my building after seeing it at a at a conference a couple years ago called Lunch Talks. And the way our lunch model was set up, we had 40 minutes for all students to have lunch at the same time, so all 2,100 students. And so I had a relationship with 30 or 40 kids that I, we sat around a table like this, and I posed a couple questions, and I said, tell me how you guys are feeling in school. And it went on from there. They told me how they were feeling as minority students, as gay students, mm-hmm. as kids living in poverty. And it just ballooned from mm. there. And it was, they said no one ever really asked me about this before. Mm. No one, wow. they didn't think anybody cared how they felt, you know, any adults. And it was amazing. We went on to pre- present at the superintendent's leadership quarterly. They made a video. It's on Google now. And <laughs> they actually presented down at Prince George with me. So um, it, it is incredible if you empower your students just to you know, give them a topic or whatever. Um, I was asked to present at Monacan recently mm-hmm. with their group or just to kind of get their conversation going. And I just asked them a couple questions, and they were like, oh, what else do you want to know? Mm-hmm. So um, I just think that that's a, a key yeah, thing absolutely. to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Right. And I think I, uh, what you what has been said around the table makes me think about one of the things you said with your first question, which was who decides. Mm-hmm. And it's important, I think, to remember that teachers... Um, are answerable both to the curriculum that's written by the state and to the students who are in front of them. And sometimes there are conflicts inherent in those two sets of expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think where you said talking about building trust and ensuring that teachers have opportunities to Mm -hmm. engage in the kind of self-reflection that will enable them to see their own privileges and how power has been enacted in their own schooling Mm -hmm. so that we can really listen to the students to Mm -hmm. ensure that their voices are included in the conversations Mm -hmm. Um, because that's where the the power and privilege really start to emerge Mm -hmm. in those conversations. As we're talking about the opportunities that are available for professional development on this topic, it makes me really reflect on um, something that Brian Stevenson said. He was just here on campus. He's the executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama, um, and the author of Just Mercy, which is the common book here at VCU. And he came and gave an incredible talk last week, and he he gave four takeaways, and two of them I think are really related to this. One is proximity, so making sure that you're engaging with people, and that's something that everybody's been saying here, that you have to engage with people 
and people that are not like you to be able to get their stories and have that come out. And one of the other ones was to be willing to have some uncomfortable conversations sometimes and to put yourself in that kind of position, um, which I think professional development, among the other things that it can accomplish, it could let us have those kinds of conversations and generate something really productive from it. So, Jamie, this study is about professional development to prepare teachers and other school personnel for work in culturally diverse schools. Uh, professional development can take a lot of different forms. What types of pro uh, professional development on this topic are currently occurring in schools, and what are some of the successful examples that we've seen? When I think about professional development and the trend of professional development in general, I think we're, and I think this is a good thing, that we're seeing a shift from a whole one-size-fits-all model of professional development. I think school systems are really beginning to realize this, um, to a model where not everyone needs to learn the same exact thing. There are different schools that have different needs, so why are we giving the teachers the same exact training at all times? Mm -hmm. So I think right now we're seeing more of a, as we want to give students a personalized learning process, we're actually providing that more with our staff and teachers. And depending on the needs of their building, um, I think even depending on where a teacher re received their education or how long ago, um, what skills are they coming with and what skills do they need to have. So I, I, think, I think professional development is evolving, and I think it's evolving in a good way. Um, going back to regarding, like, in Henrico, the trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. They started by taking a certain group of schools that they know really needed to know this information, um, and they provided this, in, this professional development to teachers. But then the other nice thing they did is that they also ensured that there was follow-up taking place mm -hmm. within the schools. Mm -hmm. um, I'm lucky enough to work in a building that has a full-time social worker and a full-time school psychologist within it, and those people were able to come during faculty meetings, provide follow-ups, and provide, um, you know, tips, tricks, working with students of diverse populations or students who had trauma-informed care. Um, I talked about the advisory period that we had, and that's just basically just increasing that awareness, but also having to work with students to teach those kinds of things throughout the school day. And that's, once again, a process that we put up front, but then we also have to make sure that we're following up with that throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the follow-through, especially as professional development changes, I think that's going to be one of our greatest, um, one of the best tools that we can have in our toolbox, mm -hmm. is to make sure that we have that follow-through and that we're getting that feedback mm -hmm. as we go through. Do students and teachers participate in the development and decisions about professional development for your teachers? Um, I know that basically we started with the teachers um, getting that feedback then, but as, like for example, like our advisory period where we're teaching those other skills, what we're now doing is that we're also getting feedback. We get feedback from teachers on the program on a monthly basis, but now we're actually getting feedback from students. First, we started on a quarterly basis, but the nice thing about it is that we're getting the feedback from the students, and so students are saying, well, you know, I want more videos, or I want more times, opportunities to be able to get up and move around, and, and we're able to basically tailor those lessons based on their needs. Mm -hmm. um, as we do these things in our own building, once again, I'd said it's like a movement and more people are wanting to get on board um, and people are coming, would you share your materials? And we always say to them, we're happy to share our materials, but what works in our building isn't always going to work for you. Once again, that personalized experience, making sure that you're tailoring the professional development um, to work best for you and your students and your teachers and your community. Mm -hmm. I think some of that also goes back to the, on the teachers is that having that open mind. And I always mm -hmm. say, what's your expectations for your teachers? Mm -hmm. I mean, for your students. And so as the teachers answer that question, and I, and I tell them my expectations for them, I see how they relate there. 
and then I don't think you have once you have that open mind and they really can really see this is what I need and then the other thing is that given some training or professional development you have to review you expect your students to review when you go back mm -hmm. so a lot of times it's not just a one one time and it's done mm -hmm. and a lot of professional development that fails is that way so you have to make mm -hmm. sure that you're coming back around and how often do we need this same mm -hmm. hit the same points on these things and so a lot of that but also making it different not just always a lecture or always these things, but making it hands-on. Um, one of the most unique things that we've done lately is last month we had a ELL night. And so we, we brought in a lot of parents across the division, or all the schools, all five schools in our division. We brought the parents in and we had a, a, a huge resource there um, from the community. And we had translators. We had everything there that we felt like would make them feel comfortable with. I feel like the teachers got more out of it. So really that interaction with the families and understanding the families and we had this big map we put up um, on the wall mm -hmm. and the kids got to take a picture on the Polaroid and actually pin mm -hmm. and draw a line to oh, where they're from. Right. And mm -hmm. so they were able to meet people in the division that they didn't know that were similar places right. and, and talk and to communicate. And we had stations set up all over um, the cafeteria and the media center that allowed them to come together and teachers and staff to work with them and those things. And we had all types of resource um, tables up almost like a career fair or resource mm -hmm. fair. Mm -hmm. And um, hands-on things like that, some of the best professional development and not just the training that the teachers get mm -hmm. from. You know, building your professional knowledge base. And um, you know, one of the ways I think about that is professional knowledge base is um, the intersection of theory and practice. Um, so, and, and this is a, I think, this topic is a good example of this because uh, we may have theories of, uh, you know, even our definition of diversity has certain sort of theories embedded in it. Um, how that looks in practice, which is very context specific, your classroom, your mm -hmm. students, your school, your community, it's going to be enacted in different ways in different spaces. What I would add to what makes a quality professional development when you, when you think about it like that is you need space for reflection. You need time for, and this is, it goes back to the reflection piece. Teachers need opportunities, you know, so maybe there's a PD where they're exposed to a framework that makes them think a little bit differently about what diversity is and, you know, oh, diversity is a strength. Okay, that's something I haven't really thought about mm -hmm. too much, but wow, that's kind of an interesting idea. Um, how, how might that apply in my classroom? I'm going to experiment with that in my classroom mm -hmm. by doing this activity and then having time after that to do a lot of self-reflection about mm -hmm. what, 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 when I apply this theory to my curriculum, to my classroom, you know, management to the way I, you know, interacted with a parent or this or that, what were the results of that and what can I learn from that and how does that help me grow as a professional? Mm -hmm. But again, it's a, it's a time issue. Do we have time for doing that? And often professional developments don't allow time for the reflective piece. Mm -hmm. It's often about, you know, delivery of content, delivery of content, and then the expectation that teachers, you know, integrate it. But um, the reflection piece is critical. Mm -hmm. That time piece is what keeps coming up in my mind as I'm hearing mm -hmm. everybody talk about this because it seems pretty clear that the kind of professional development that is the best for your school is the kind that's intentionally tailored to the needs of your students. That takes a lot of intentionality, takes a lot of effort and really focusing, and there's a lot of uh, time commitment that's associated with that. And Jamie, as you were talking about what you've done at your school, I'm wondering if you have any guidance for somebody who... Um, might be interested in something like this, but might be hesitant because they feel like I have so much on my plate. How can I design professional development that's specific for my school? I think one of the um, 
the greatest components that really helped us in a building trying to implement something new. Um, first of all, having conversations early on, mm-hmm. um, having a plan in place and a framework and starting to bring stakeholders in on the conversation on the early side. And the stakeholders, like you talk about students and teachers, but also people among central office. Um, and talking to those people, the people higher up of administration-wise, um, them coming in and saying, this is, this is what we'd like to have, what can you give us? And mm-hmm. talking with them and finding out, like, when we, when we talked to them, they said, all right, well, this sounds great. Um, let's give you some money to have some sub-days where you can have teachers come in mm-hmm. and really put this together. Mm-hmm. And, and make this happen. So, and having that support and then the follow-up and making sure that um, it's we're receiving feedback based on what the needs are of the students and the teachers and the community members as well, mm-hmm. um, making sure we have our message mm-hmm. um, and making sure that we're repeating that message and that everyone involved in it knows exactly what we're doing. Um, I think the why is mm-hmm. another important component mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Question for you. Yeah. Um, within that, or developing a professional development plan and what you're going to do, do you include the parents at all? Um, that's a component that we've started including this year, um, family engagement. Um, that's something, like I said, it's new. I think in Henrico in general, they're really pushing the family engagement component, um, wanting to have parents um, buy in and talk about the process. Um, I know this year a lot what we did with our, um, especially with the advisory period, we had run through members of our PTA. Mm-hmm. Um Really, what we should be doing is having a um, member on that committee, a parent member, a student representative. So I think that will be our next step to make sure that we're including um, more so because um, something that we've learned, especially when we have our orientation nights and back-to-school nights, the more that we're putting our message, this is what we want to do and this is why we're doing it, and sharing that with our parents, then that begins that dialogue at home mm-hmm. as well. And that's where you start having those changes take place. Mm-hmm. You've alluded a couple of times to mm-hmm. an adage that we hear in K-12 education all the time, which is, of course, what gets assessed is what gets taught. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what kind of evaluations you have um, in place for the professional development that you're doing. Um, essentially, regarding evaluations, we, I talked about before, um, having student feedback on a monthly basis, um, and we do that through surveys, um, and we do that through talking to students. Uh, we have teacher feedback, I mean, student feedback on a quarterly basis, teacher feedback on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. and then we bring that committee, that core committee that's helping to develop the lessons and everything, we bring them together on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. and once again, we have the central office people coming in and working with us and talking with us and having that feedback and helping to grow the program, mm-hmm. but everything I think we've done has been very strategic. Um, We did a lot of research on the back end, um, Mm -hmm. made sure that we were using not just research-based practices, but evidence-based practices as well Mm -hmm. in working with our teachers and students to put something new in place within a building. I love all these questions that are generating because research is all about questions, mm-hmm. right? It is. Right. It so is. we're thinking about this. We're always generating mm-hmm. questions that we want to study more. So I imagine everybody at this table has questions that are in their mind as they're thinking about this study and moving forward. So what kind of questions are emerging as we move forward with this study? What is it that you want to explore more? Well, you had asked one about um, the parents, so and I have one about the students. So obviously, this is professional development for teachers, but will we consider? you know, parent or community or student perspective in looking at professional development for teachers? I think sometimes I think about, even today I had a parent in, and um, the one first question, you know, once we finished dealing with the situation was, you know, what can we do? Mm-hmm. 
what can we do differently? You feel like we can um, make more of a positive impact on your child, you know, and those things. So I think the parents could really give feedback, and you have to decipher the things that are, I want to say worthy, but the things that are, that are more relevant um, in there. But I really feel like the parents could give us a lot, especially when we deal with cultural diversity. It may be some things that you don't understand. So I really feel like the parents could give a lot of positive things that could really direct what we do. And like you said, it's it's very different for every building and every situation, but I really feel like you could get a lot of good information there to utilize that in a positive way. You know, I think about, we do, we do things well, but we do some other things where we're still learning. Mm-hmm. I would really like to know what divisions out there, and not necessarily a Virginia thing or, you know, Eastern part of the United States thing, what school divisions have something in place that really truly works, and why does it work? I actually um, teach classes in the county, but it's in the evening, and it's optional for our teachers and they're full every time I offer them yeah. but it's for teachers who want to come <laughs> so of course the audience is receptive they're all ears the feedback is always positive but that's because they want to be there and they all say why isn't everyone getting this and I've been doing it now for six years mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. and it is always the same thing whenever I come back to the higher ups there are many of us in the county that strongly feel like this should be mandatory and not just my classes and josh who's also on the committee it's Mm -hmm. we're the only two for the whole county that do it for everybody um we now have an equity director which Mm -hmm. is awesome um we don't really see any more classes coming down the pike but we're still Mm -hmm. optimistic um but you know we are a huge school division i mean everyone should get this Mm-hmm. It's just, and not that we're anything, but I mm-hmm. mean, we're the biggest school division and with our changing demographic and, um, we just think it should be, you know, it goes without saying. And some of the things that I think the question is, um, if people are receptive to change, mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things, because when you deal with this, we, we attack this whole thing of cultural diversity. It is something of changing the ways that we've used to, or the beliefs mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. or adapting to others beliefs versus our beliefs Mm -hmm. and some of the things that if you look at over time as time has evolved we think about in the classroom Mm -hmm. and so now everything is for the majority student center when it used to be all teacher directed Mm -hmm. and teacher centered so it was you know and those teachers that have changed and saw that they've seen the results of this is the best things Mm -hmm. small group instruction Mm -hmm. versus majority whole group and so as i look at that and i look at think of some of my own older teachers um some of those things is trying to really give them something to relate it to as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. It's to change because everything's, we're afraid of everything that's different. Mm-hmm. And so letting them see something that has been positive mm-hmm. or changed in a positive way mm-hmm. um, helps shed some light to get less resistance. It's a good way to mm-hmm. think about it. And the question that came to mind from the original prompt was how can we support teachers so they feel like they can be vulnerable in this mm-hmm. kind of situation to examine their own beliefs mm-hmm. and think about their own practices in ways that don't undermine their own sense of mm-hmm. professionalism and of autonomy. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my favorite quotes is that the loss of power feels like oppression. Mm. And that is, I think, wow. how they're feeling. They're feeling like they're being forced mm-hmm. to change and, um, and they maybe don't feel like they have the tools to make those changes mm-hmm. in enough of a way that will support them in maintaining their professional mm-hmm. identity. Right. And that's a really difficult thing. And, mm-hmm. and I want to build on that point because, I mean, one thing I'm thinking about in terms of teachers' work, and something that really interests me about this study 
is our desire to get teachers uh, better frameworks for for, um, for working with diverse populations. It's about the you know making them more uh, effective at delivering curriculum content, mm-hmm. but it's also about I think something that is core to what our our schools are about, our public mm-hmm. schools are about. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is explicit part of our curric- or should be an explicit mm-hmm. part of our curriculum. Right. We want people to be able. We want classrooms to to reflect the sort of understanding, and communication, and trust and tolerance that we want our society to look like. And you yes. know, and I think mm-hmm. the, right now it's probably more true than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that shift is also it's not just about the teachers beliefs they have coming in but it's really about what what is the role of the teacher yes. you know and what is the role of the teacher in relationship to the, the goals of public education mm-hmm. and so um and this is all very challenging so my, i mean my question coming in as a researcher is how do we do this you know like how what is this what might this professional development look like mm-hmm. and it's it's a real Don't. challenge yeah but exciting mm-hmm. but yeah, really exciting so. yeah, yeah and the world we live in today with everything with social media and everything mm-hmm. at our mm-hmm. hands that goes back to that belief, our personal beliefs. So how do you leave your personal opinions and beliefs and put on your professional mm-hmm. opinions and, and professional beliefs about things? And and that, and that kind of goes back to the, what you're saying there. And I think that's very hard because people, everything they see around them, it's this is the right way. Who determines mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the, the thing again. Mm-hmm. I hate to move on. <laughs> I feel like we, just like all these conversations, yeah. we could talk about this all day. And there's so many good questions that are generating from this. And some of the first steps for the study are going to be to generate some strong research questions that are grounded in literature that will really inform the next steps for the study, which Jesse was just talking about, this question of how do we do this, right? So we're talking about the method. So like, how is it that we go about this study? So Julie, at this point, what ideas do we have in terms of research method for this study? What do you think? Well, I think it, it has the methods that we use will need to address that kind of dual accountability that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, for professional development to be valued by, say, for example, the state, um, it will need to address student achievement as the state defines it, whether or not we agree with those definitions. Mm-hmm. It will need to be included. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we decide we want to challenge those definitions, we will need to have information about it. So some quantitative... Um, analysis, I think, of student performance and how it's affected by teacher professional development in the long run may be, accept, may be something we think about. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you, I think you can tell from the conversation we've been having around the table that, that a qualitative um, will be a powerful component of the study as well. Interviews, um, possibly trying out different professional development protocols to see how students react, how teachers react, how parents experience them, how they influence the curriculum and delivery of curriculum. All of these things would be part of a a qualitative Mm -hmm. analysis as well. You know, I I think mixed methods, I mean, I think there's there's, uh, all sorts of directions this could go in possible side sort of studies within the study. Mm -hmm. An intervention study, we could do an experimental study with a PD and looking at outcomes. Mm -hmm. We could do descriptive quantitative we could do qualitative um so all in terms of you know the, when you think about methods like that i think they're all on the table for sure um another thing i think about a lot with um merck research is it's a community engaged mm-hmm. research model mm-hmm. which means it's this it's um not just researchers going in and researching schools but researchers working with practitioners hopefully bringing parents and students' voices into the research process to ask questions with us and to answer questions with us. Um, it's something that's been, I've been really trying to integrate into Merck studies. Um, 
because it uh, it makes the research better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the research is better when we have multiple voices involved, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we ask better questions and we make less assumptions. And um, I think it, and we also all grow from the experience. Like I've just mm-hmm. really felt like I've learned a lot from this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, the idea is that uh, the, the community engaged quality of the the study is uh, is part of the method as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I, I'll just say one more thing to add to that, and that mm-hmm. is that going back to Travis's question about who decides, that's mm-hmm. another reason to have a participatory. Um, team study that includes all of those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just researchers coming in, deciding on the question, deciding on the method, deciding on the data, analyzing the data, and telling everyone what we found. Mm-hmm. Um, a participatory study gets to the idea of collaborative decision making. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that there are 21 voices on this study. There's a 21-person <laughs> study team, so there's a lot of buy-in here. Mm-hmm. Jesse, what do you think the next steps are for this study? What do you see? Well, we have a, a meeting, a study team meeting next week. Uh, we will um, be working on um, these initial phases. And when I think about the initial phases of a study, we're thinking about what our goals are for the study and what our conceptual framework is, um, or con- possible multiple conceptual frameworks. But like sort of how are, we, how are we theorizing this idea of diversity? How are we theorizing the idea of professional development? How do those intersect? And how might they meet the goals we have as researchers as practitioners, as policymakers, as educators. Um, and then out of the um, sort of um, interaction of those two, we, we will generate a set of questions. Um, hopefully by the end of this, um, hopefully by, we have two more study team meetings. Uh, by the second study team meeting, um, we'll have some research questions. And then over the summer, we'll be working on um, uh, developing a specific method. Um, mm-hmm. Some, you know, here's our data collection idea. We're going to do a survey. We're going to do this qualitative work. We'll do a case study. Um, proposing that to the Policy and Planning Council in, at our September meeting, and then um, getting the go-ahead to go ahead and uh, you know fill out our IRB, which is our um, institutional research review from VCU, and then go out in data collection in the fall and the spring of next year. Um, so that's where we are right now. It's we're just in the initial phase. This is a study that could I imagine these. I, I just kind of think about these as multi-year studies. So mm-hmm. it could. Um, it's gonna. It's gonna be a big big journey ahead of us. There's a lot to look forward to, for yeah, sure. And I think there's so many takeaways from this conversation that we're going to have to wrap up. But if I could dilute it down into one statement that was said today, I think, when uh, Laura said, uh, everything is an opportunity. I think that, that really stands out to me. That That's kind of the point of this, right? Like, that's what we're talking about. Diversity is an opportunity. Everything's an opportunity. We can build off of this. So we're going to have to leave that there for now. But if you're interested in this topic, you can keep up to date on the progress of this Merck study by visiting our website at merck.soe.vcu.edu. That's merc.soe.vcu.edu and clicking on current projects. There you'll find information about this study, including a pretty nifty video about it produced by yours truly. Uh, You could also check out our other ongoing projects on our site, as well as access other episodes of this podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we hope that you'll share this episode with anyone you believe could benefit from joining our discussion. We're eager to bring them to the table with us. You can access Abstract on the Merck website, as well as on SoundCloud and iTunes. We hope you'll subscribe and leave some feedback while you're there. Our next episode will feature a discussion about school climate, so be sure to join us for that. Our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck. To Jesse Sinishaw for his fearless direction, to Kyle Yoga Muffin Rudd for our sound editing and for our super cool theme music, to the wonderful and talented Tracy Naff for our logo design, and to all of our partnering school divisions, 
Chesterfield, Colonial Heights, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Powhatan, and Richmond. Uh, our thanks to everyone on our 21-person study team and to Laura, Jamie, Travis, and Julie for being with us here today to share your perspective. Uh, and of course, to all thanks to all the teachers and educators out there and to you at home for joining our conversation today. We hope that we will all continue to find ways to be more culturally responsive in the work that we do. Uh, my name is David Knapp. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues in education. Let's talk again soon.